Welcome to our Fourth Universalist service video. My name is Ember Kelly, and I am the Director of Religious Education here at the Fourth Universalist Society. It's wonderful to have you with us today. I use she and her pronouns, and once again, thank you for joining us. What follows are selections from our service on August 1st, 2021, uh, a service about the Psalms with Reverend Julie Taylor. In this video, you'll hear the reading as well as the reflection Following that, we hope you will join us for a lively discussion where we dive a little deeper into the service themes together. We invite you to check out this video and audio podcast each week. We post it on our Facebook, on our website, on YouTube, on Instagram, as well as many of your favorite podcast streaming sites. If you like what we see, we hope that you will leave us a positive review. The likes, the comments, the sharing and subscribing, this all helps to spread forth Universalist media further. Finally, we acknowledge that our community is based on the land of the Munsi Lenape peoples. We acknowledge their community in the past, the present, and the future. Fourth Universalist Society acknowledge that it was founded upon exclusions and erasures of many BIPOC peoples, including those on whose this land, whose land this institution is located on. With this acknowledgement, we are seeking to continue this process of working to dismantle ongoing legacies of settler colonialism, white supremacy, as well as other forms of oppression. This is vital work and we invite you to join us in this work as well. Thank you again for watching. We begin with our reading. Our reading this morning is from Psalm 109, which inspired the song we just heard. This translation is from the Inclusive Bible. Jews and Christians have used the Psalms in worship for centuries. They were originally composed for use in ancient Israel, going back to the king of time of King David, circa 1000 BCE. O God of my praise, break your silence. Now that the corrupt and the deceitful are accusing and defaming me, saying malicious things about me, attacking me for no reason, in return for my friendship, they denounce me, though all I had done was pray for them. They have repaid my kindness with evil, my love with hatred. Yahweh, defend me for the sake of your name. Rescue me in the generosity of your love. Reduced to affliction and poverty, my heart is wounded within me. I'm dwindling away like a shadow. I've been shaken off like a locust. My knees are weak from lack of food. My body is thin and gaunt. I have become an object of derision. People shake their heads when they see me. Help me, Yahweh, my God. Save me because of your love. Let them know that this is your hand. It was you, Yahweh, who has done all this. 
counter their curses with your blessing. Shame my aggressors when they arise. Make your faithful one glad. Clothe my accusers in disgrace. Cover them with a cloak of their own shame. I will give thanks aloud to Yahweh and praise and proclaim God's praise in the assembly for taking the side of poor people, defending against those who would sentence them to death. Here ends the reading. Good morning. And uh, I'm grateful to be with you all here uh, this Sunday morning. It's been about a year, I think, since I was able to, uh, to share the fourth Universalist pulpit, which I love so much. And so in a virtual way, I'm grateful to be able to be here from Chicago. So joining you from Chicago, that's Grant Park there behind me. Although right now Lollapalooza is actually playing there if I was there in the moment. Uh, you wouldn't be able to hear me over the, over the noise. So glad just for the, the image. So uh, the Psalms are really uh, quite special to me. I grew up in a Christian household in the Northwestern United States. Went to Sunday school regularly, even went to Awana for a few years. And Awana, if, if, for those of you that might not know, is kind of a scout group for evangelical Christian kids, where we earn badges for memorizing Bible verses. Uh, from an early age, I had a lot of exposure and interaction with, with the Bible. Memorizing texts and studying them, though, are two very different things studying texts intellectually and finding ways to live out and embody their messages is also very different. So I, uh, a few years ago, I took an intensive course on the Psalms. I had never really studied the Psalms in depth, again, beyond just reading or, or hearing the popular ones and memorizing pieces of a few. I, I took this class as an opportunity to discover if these ancient texts spoke to me as a 21st century Unitarian Universalist minister. And they did. <laughs> I found them relevant, uh, inspiring, and useful in a variety of ways. The Psalms are a place where well-known imagery and poetry live, as the Psalms are cultural texts as well as religious ones. You know, as, as we've already heard this morning, right, I would venture to guess there, there's some really popular ones that, that most of us know about. I would guess very few of us are not aware of the Valley of the Shadow of Death from Psalm 23. Or, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, originally, that is the opening line from Psalm 22 in the Old Testament. Gospel writers used the Psalms to bring words to Jesus's cry from the cross. How about out of the mouths of babes? That's Psalm 8. I am for peace is Psalm 120. That's just a few. <laughs> the language of the Psalm surrounds us. It is part of the water that we swim in, the air we breathe, even if we don't always recognize it as such. No, but these were not just poems. Uh, as Psalm scholar J. Clinton McCann notes in his book, a theological introduction to the book of Psalms, the Psalms are Torah or instruction. McCann and other scholars posit that these texts describe the way God intended the world and people to function, as well as describing the very character of God itself. So another scholar, John Dominic Crossan, who's a New Testament scholar, he believes that Psalm 82 is 
the, and I'm quoting here, the single most important text in the entire Christian Bible. So here's Psalm 22, uh, and this is the Good News Translation. God presides in the heavenly council, in the assembly of gods, he gives his decision. You must stop judging unjustly. You must no longer be partial to the wicked. Defend the rights of the poor and orphans. Be fair to the needy and helpless. Rescue them from the power of evil people. How arrogant you are, how stupid. You are completely corrupt and justice has disappeared from the world. They have neither knowledge nor understanding. They walk around in darkness. All the foundations of the earth are shaken. You are gods. All of you are children of the most high, but you will die like mortal. Your life will end like that of any prince. Come, oh God, and rule the world. All the nations are yours. So that's Psalm 82. And here is why Crossan believes that this is the most important text in the entire Christian Bible. Here is a quote. Uh, this is from his book. That short, psalm, that short psalm best summarizes for me the character of the Jewish God as Lord of all the world. It imagines a mythical scene in which God sits among the gods and goddesses in the divine council. Those other gods and goddesses are dethroned not just because they are other, perhaps you know, pagan from another tradition, or they are not uh, dethroned because they are competition. They are dethroned for injustice for divine malpractice, for transcendental malfeasance in office. They are rejected because they do not demand and affect justice among the peoples of the earth. And that justice is spelled out as protecting the poor from the rich, protecting the systemically weak from the systemically powerful. Such injustice creates darkness over the earth and shakes the very foundation of the world. Psalm 182 tells us how we are to be judged by God, but also how God wants to be judged by us. Everything else that God says or does in the Bible or in life should be judged by that job description. So that's uh, Crossan. That's his interpretation. And that's a lot, as I studied, that really became important for me. The fundamental character of God is connected to doing justice which means taking care of the most vulnerable as described in other parts of the Psalms, the widows, the orphans, the poor, the immigrants, the marginalized. God is not God if God is not doing these things, regardless of how other people may call upon God. According to this text, God is not God if God is not taking care of people most in need and calling upon us to do the same. Now, over and over in the Psalms, God and those following God's instruction are connected to hesed, which is steadfast love, mishpot, which is justice, although it often is mistranslated as judgment, which are two very different things, but mishpot being justice, and shalom, which Clint McCann translates as comprehensive well-being for everybody. Now, that goes well beyond what we normally think of as shalom, as being peace. But McCann's translation is shalom is comprehensive well-being for everybody. Those three words, hesed, mishpot, and shalom, are repeated over and over in the Psalms. 
repetition is a key element in studying what is important in Hebrew and in these texts. His said, mishpat, and shalom stand in the foreground of the Psalms. Now, I realize that everybody gathered here in our little squares, <laughs> we probably don't all recognize God as an entity or a force. We probably don't all use that language, right? We don't consider God, a, some don't even consider a concept of God. Some of you are likely theists and some deists, some atheists. And wherever you are on that spectrum, just, just go with me for the next few minutes and see if there's a way that these texts can be useful to you. Because these are cultural texts. They're out in the world being used. And I'm asking you to consider how we can reclaim these texts from each of our contexts. Now, to really climb into these verses, it's important to go back and get a broad understanding of the context of which they were written. The Psalms, as we read them now, were written over a long period of time. While a few of them were written pre-exile, the majority and the final form of the Psalms were written by a people who were being actively oppressed. They were written about kings, monarchs. Uh, many Psalms are attributed to King David himself. And while the scholars don't think he actually wrote them, these are words put into the mouth of one of their greatest and fallible leaders. And it can be confusing to read the Psalms. There's a lot about enemies, a lot about crying out for vengeance, and even murder. Remember that we read these from our context, and for Westerners and those of us who hold many forms of privilege, our context is generally that of those in power. And that's hard for us to think about. We don't like to think of ourselves as participating in the, the oppressing, the holding power or holding privilege. And this is the tension that we have to hold while reading these Psalms. This juxtaposition can be really disorienting. So as you listen today, listen outside of your experience. Imagine those voices coming from those most vulnerable and most marginalized in society. Be mindful of their context and yours. So I encounter the Psalms as a book comprised of tools. Tools for healing, cries of anguish and for justice, expressions of humanity from a people in a torn and broken world. Now, am I talking about back then or am I talking about what's going on right now? All right. These are not the voices of the ones in charge. These are not the voices of the ones in power. These are not the voices of the ones with privilege. They are the voices of the ones who have nothing, who have no power. The voices of the ones crying in the streets, who won't stop and who are demanding change. The Psalms can be read as poetry, as a description of people's struggle in an ancient time, or they can be read as instruction that is as relevant today as it was two millennia ago. So there are a number of styles the, and forms that the Psalms take. For those of you with knowledge and formal exposure uh, to these scriptures, you may have heard this, the terms a praise psalm, a royal or a Zion psalm, confession, lament. These forms connect psychologically and spiritually. People beyond monotheistic traditions have spent time interpreting these texts and forms. Buddhists, humanists, UUs have used them for inspiration and done their own translations. We heard a beautiful translation by Bobby McFerrin in the form of a song 
just a few moments ago, right? One of the most well-known texts is this 23rd Psalm. Uh, I'm, I'm gonna start here with this version, the most used. It's the one from the King James Bible. So this is the one probably most people are often familiar with. It reads, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He maketh me to lie down in green pastures. He leadeth me beside still waters. He restoreth my, restoreth my soul. He leadeth me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. Thy right and thy staff comfort me. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of mine enemies. Thou anointest my head with oil. My cup runneth over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. See, those are powerful world, words, powerful images of not being alone during times of great sorrow or fear. And these are profoundly human needs. These words and images are not confined by a belief in God or an adherence to a particular religion. Suffering is. Death is. And so if suffering is normative, the Psalms may be a resource for resilience. Could laments help counter the prevailing cultural narrative that, you know, if you do the right thing, if you vote for the right person, if you buy the right product, if you do everything you're supposed to do, you will not suffer. Except if we recognize that suffering is, we can use lament to accompany us in those times, right, to counter that narrative. There's a beautiful book by a, beautiful, uh, by a Buddhist teacher, uh, Norman Fisher, and it is called Opening to You, Zen-inspired translations of the Psalms. Here's Fisher's interpretation from a Buddhist perspective of the 23rd Psalm. You are my shepherd. I am content. You lead me to rest in the sweet grasses, to lie down by the quiet waters, and I am refreshed. You lead me down the right path, that path that unwinds in the pattern of your name. And even if I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will not fear for you are with me, comforting me with your rod and your staff, showing me each step. You prepare a table for me in the midst of my adversity and moisten my head with oil. Surely my cup is overflowing and goodness and kindness will follow me all the days of my life and in the long days beyond. And I will always live within your house. So there's a Buddhist teacher connecting with, digging in, using this psalm to find a way to navigate at a time of suffering. Even humanists have taken the 23rd Psalm and used it to wrestle with uncertainty and mortality. Reverend Charles Donald Seleska wrote his interpretation while he was wrestling with his own cancer. This is titled the religious, the religious humanists 23rd Psalm. Life itself is my guide. I shall not be denied its sustaining power. The green earth provides me with lavish nourishment. Cool, still pools of water refresh my spirit. A deep intuition leads me along a path that is true for the sake of existence itself. Even though I walk through a valley where dark shadows prevent me from knowing where life finally leads in death, ultimately I will not fear, for the energy of the universe is with me. The tools by which I am kept from wandering off, or off into despair, they are a comfort to me. 
even in the face of threats to my well-being and my very life, the spirit of life nourishes me, honors me with its presence, and reminds me that I really have more than I need. Surely goodness and kindness radiate upon me constantly, and I shall dwell within this universe with its transform transforming process forever. To engage with these texts, you don't have to be a deist or a theist. You can be a humanist or an atheist. You can find a language that speaks to you because these texts are gigantic. The Psalms are rich texts full of deep places of the human psyche and spirit. Now, back when I was in seminary, we had an exercise uh, where we were asked to contemporize a psalm, to make it connect to us, to our lives. And it was one of my favorite assignments in that course, partly because we were given the freedom to make the scripture matter to us. We were the translators. And so here's one of the translations I wrote. And this is a short one. It's from Psalm 118, just, just two, ver uh, two verses, uh, 22 and 23. So 118, 22, and 23. And the original reads, the stone that builders have rejected has become the chief cornerstone. This is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes. My translation. These queers that the righteous deem unacceptable are now the people chosen to lead humanity through the next doorway. The creator has chosen. Fabulous. One of the things I found most profound and the most useful for me in the Psalms class I took a few years ago is the concept that God's character is to be on the side of the marginalized. The instruction of the Psalms is for us to do the same. This class gave me a new focus and grounding in my own social justice work. Has said, right, steadfast love, mishpot, justice, often mistranslated as a judgment, but it is justice and shalom comprehensive well-being for everybody. The Psalms are very clear that in general, you know, things are pretty messed up in the world. Check out parts of Psalm 73 where the psalmist has just had it. <laughs> Feels to me, really, that it could be written today. And here it is, verses two through eight, Psalm 73, two through eight. I had nearly lost confidence. My faith, faith was almost gone because I was jealous of the proud when I saw that things go well for the wicked. They do not suffer pain. They're strong and healthy. They do not suffer as other people do. They do not have the troubles other people have. And so they wear pride like a necklace and violence like a robe. Their hearts pour out evil and their minds are busy with wicked schemes. They laugh at other people and speak of evil things. They are proud and make plans to oppress others. Now I can feel that one pretty regularly and pretty closely. And this is also where things get complicated because there are times I can also be complicit in wicked behavior as well. But by recognizing my complicity and slowing down, taking that apart, making different decisions, that's the spiritual work of being a Unitarian Universalist. It's one of the things that makes it complicated to be a Unitarian Universalist, right? We say we're willing to jump into those complexities and find the textures. How do we do it? Do we do it? The wicked prosper. God's not punishing them. In fact, they seem to get rewarded. That gels with a lot of what I've experienced in life. And certainly it's what I witness around me every day, politics, and corporations, business, even between people. When you look to the big stage, you often hear people exclaim that 
God is on their side. And they use their success as proof. God's on the winner's side, right? It happens in sports and politics and business. And God must be on the winner's side because God isn't a loser. Well, this is where we have to be vigilant again in reading what's actually in the texts. When I read the Psalms through the lens of Psalm 82, that one where we started, where God's character and the character of the way the world is designed to work is that of steadfast love, justice, and comprehensive well-being for everybody, I start to recognize that God does not express God's self through power. Power is not that power is not where God is. God expresses God's self through solidarity and love, particularly in solidarity and love with the poor, the widows, orphans, immigrants, and those who are most marginalized. McCann says, this is a quote, if God shows any partiality, it is only to justice, defined as the systemic creation of conditions that make life possible for all especially for the ones whose lives may be the most threatened and vulnerable. Now in the Unitarian Universalist world, some interpret God as love. And we aren't the only ones who do this, by the way. Uh, but if we do this, a UU interpretation would be that the character of love is that love expresses itself through solidarity and justice with the poor, the needy, the widows, the orphans, the immigrants. To be on the side of love means to be on the side of those most marginalized. Now, let me be clear. You can have privilege and power and be on the side of love, aligned with God. It is there in many other Psalms where the psalmist cry out to the kings and the monarchy to get back to doing what they're supposed to be doing. The call of the Psalms is for those of us with privilege, to, the call of the Psalms for those of us with privilege is that we use our power. We use our privilege in service of those who don't have it to align ourselves with them. Now we're in uncertain times right now, terrifying times for some of us. It can be easy to get stuck, to get overwhelmed, to be afraid, to not know what to do, to freeze. When those times come to you, I offer the Psalms as a tool, a tool to take action. There is anger in the Psalms, great anger and great grief coming from a people who are being killed and enslaved. If you read the Psalms, you will read cries for vengeance. Don't be afraid of the cries. <coughs> remember, remember your context and theirs are different. These are prayers coming from people who have no power to carry the hurting that they call for out. These are prayers to their God, crying out to their God for some kind of justice to be done. And sometimes that justice looks like hurting, looks like hurting them the way they're hurting us. Now that's different than our current context. And when we read those words, if you find yourself thinking in your head, hey, that's a little too rough. That's not the right way to ask for justice. Maybe it's time to hold on a second and think back and remember who's doing that cry and what it's about. Right? There's echoes of this today. Grief and anger are deeply connected. They are real and they are legitimate and they are useful. Privilege often lets us downplay and ignore the grief and anger of others so we don't have to feel it in ourselves. Again, Clint McCann says, 
quote, in the face of monstrous evil, the worst possible response is to feel nothing. What must be felt is grief, rage, outrage. In their absence, evil becomes an acceptable commonplace. To forget is to submit to evil, to wither and die. To remember is to resist, be faithful, and live again. Quote. So um, this colleague of mine, Richard Bruxford Cooligan, who wrote Move, actually uh, was working on my doctorate with him. He's written an, an album of contemporizations of the Psalms. Right? These words again move from 109 in his song Move. Do not be silent, move, let anger bring change. No one is an island. Move, things can't stay the same. Stay by the ones who are oppressed. It's time to do our part. Where they have cursed, we vow to bless. It's time for action now. Speak truth to power and let love rule. It's time to use our voice. See, for me, reading the Psalms now give depth to living on the side of love, taking actions aligned with the margins, embracing the times of praise, of grief, of anger, of celebration, using the tools of the past to bring about a future with hesed, mishpot, and true shalom. May it be so. Amen and blessed be. I am really excited to get to sit down with Reverend Julie Taylor today to dive a little bit deeper into this message. Uh, it was one that was particularly interesting to me because I have had some experience learning about Psalms in past uh, undergrad and grad school experiences. And so I, you know, I had to resist my urge as I put together the Time for All Ages uh, to not give a grad school level message, but instead to find something a little bit different. But I'm excited to get to now dive a little bit into the Psalms together with you. So uh, Reverend Julie, great to have you. Thank you, it's good to be here, Amber, I appreciate this. Uh, so I'm uh, Reverend Julie Taylor. I'm a Unitarian Universalist community minister. Uh, my, my primary uh, vocation at this point, or maybe not my primary vocation, my, my location of, of ministry is I'm the Senior Director of Contextual Ministry and an affiliated faculty member at Meadville Lombard Theological School in Chicago. Ooh, good old Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> I am, uh, I grew up in the Chicago area, so. Oh, okay. Up in Kenosha. I, okay. It's a familiar area for me. Nice. <laughs> nice. Well, and so speaking of, uh, you know, you, you mentioned a little bit in the, in the message that, you know, you uh, came from this background of having the Psalms and uh, an evangelical sort of background. Am I correct in, in that understanding? Yeah, I, I'm, I'm a bit, I, I'm older than, than people might suspect. So when you think of evangelical Christianity for, for me growing up in the early 70s, it was a very different experience than what it turned into more in the 80s that turned toward moral majority and becoming very political. Evangelical Christianity at that point had nothing to do with politics, really. It, it, the time was not spent on this world. The time was really spent on the next. And so it was a very different experience and understanding of, of evangelical Christianity, uh, just totally different than what the context is now around that. So that, that movement has shifted and changed a lot in the last 30, 40 years. Having uh, gone to an evangelical Pentecostal school for 
uh, all of my 90s and early 2000s upbringing definitely was a bit more political. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah 20 years earlier, absolutely different story. Great book I would highly recommend on that called Crazy for God. Hmm, not heard yeah. of that one. By I thought Frank I knew Schaefer. all my evangelical books. No, Frank Schaefer, Crazy for God, someone that came up and was part of that part of that movement and part of the politi politicizing of it and now has done a 180 as huh. very much against it. Highly recommend that book, Crazy for God by Frank Schaefer. Definitely, I'm, I'm gonna have yeah. to check that one out. Yeah. Uh, so, but you know, so you use and uh, growing up in the evangelical world, that's a little bit of a difference in like kind of how you interact with like scriptures, mm -hmm. uh, definitely. Um, would you be able to share a little bit about like how, like maybe with the Psalms, how like, uh, how that's different for you now, interacting with them now as a, as a UU minister versus as a, as a, as a young evangelical in the 70s? Well, for sure, and it wasn't exclusively the Psalms, but when I was younger, you know, we memorized a lot of, hmm. of Bible uh, and scripture. It was a lot of memorization, uh, you know, you can, awards uh, in all kinds of, all kinds of uh, accolades to being able to really commit the text to, you know, memory, but also to heart. And that was, that was definitely part of this to, to be able to live it out was to know it. You needed to know it that deeply. And there's even, you know, there's, there's text even in, uh, in the Old Testament Song of Songs or Song of Solomon, depending on how, uh, what, how you take that, right? There's even language in that about, about having this text and, and, and like writing it on your, writing it on your arm, writing it on your body, having it part of uh, so that, that's not a new experience, right? And so to learn, and when you're younger too, learning, you may not be reading when we're preliterate, memorization comes into play with that. So memorizing from a really early age, just wrote. Now, as I got older, reading the Bible in particular in my, you know, younger, like high school and younger years, there was different criticism that happened that came from, you know, my own ideas rather than critique than real that was more criticism rather than critique rather than understanding it from other points of view and I certainly wasn't being taught at that point it just wasn't part of the lexicon I don't think certainly within our household although it might have been by now I think it would my parents would be doing things differently uh, but we were interpreting everything from where we are now as opposed to interpreting the texts from mm. where it was written and from the time it was written and I'm trying to understand it in its own language and then applying those lessons to now. And so that's, I think the biggest change, which I talk about in the sermon too, is, uh, is for me to use the Psalms or any sacred text responsibly for me is to, to try to understand it within its own context and then find ways that it makes sense to take that context and where are their parallels, where are um, where they're not parallels. How does it make sense today to use that as, as illumination or as a lens to be mm. able to maybe understand something happening now or maybe not even understand to, to help? Is it a tool that can be used for support as a balm? Is it can be used as energy? Yeah, definitely. So, I mean, that, that kind of relates to the other, another question that I wanted to ask you was, you know, is there on like a, a personal spiritual journey as much as you'd be interested in sharing, is there a way that the Psalms, you know, play a part in your, in your own spirituality? 
Yeah, they this when I took as I, I mentioned I take a I took a particular class working on my doctorate uh, up on the Psalms uh, from a, a scholar a, a Psalm scholar. I mean that's that's what he does, and that really shifted to be able to narrow the focus so much on the Psalms really helped me uh, even more certainly more than than even my master's study. Uh, really allowed me to focus on, on well what are what are these specific texts working with what were the people experiencing right what where were those cries and then really importantly because of my own social location and context where would I actually be I know I read it and want to be right there with the people screaming for justice and there are times when that's there but when I have to look at myself okay well what does that mean what would that mean as a white person who, you know, has education, who has, uh, you know, is a homeowner, like, where, where do I, where do I fit in, in, in that? I can't just claim to be the one demanding justice as though it's exactly the same as the context of the folks at the time when it was written. And even now in a, in a current context, where are those places? There are some places where I would align with that, but other places are go, okay, well, how, how would I use that now? And so mm. there's a way that, that, that that's part of how it influences me spiritually to do that exercise, because that's hard exercise. That takes humility. It takes under self-understanding. It take, there's, there's a spiritual exercise in that um, that's really important. Uh, I also, I also, I listen to the music and I know that you're going to, you know, the, the piece you brought about how music can evoke um, uh, experiences or help us experience express uh this uh songwriter richard uh bruxburg uh Cooligan, uh and we used his song one of his songs uh move for the reading he has an entire album of his reinterpretations of psalms and mm. so going to that album uh i like the i like his reinterpretation of the word certainly uh so that is also something that i go to if i'm in a mood or I need an encouragement or I'm really struggling uh, using music that way can be very helpful. And he's not the only one that reinterprets Psalms that way, but he was the one that I really started to go, oh, I see how this can be used now. Ah, okay. And so now I can, I search out other, other interpreters that use song that way. And the Psalms were kind of built for that. So it's really quite remarkable. Right, definitely. I think, you know, so you, you hit on it in the, in the message and, uh, one of the things that really stood out to me from my experience studying the Psalms in, in school was that, you know, especially as someone who grew up in, a, this, in the, the 90s, 2000s, very um, rigid, strict um, understanding of you know, relationship with the divine, uh, that the Psalms are all about, like, how complicated that can be and, like, how you have such various feelings. And I, I feel like we're really feeling that this last year with, uh, with the pandemic. Yeah. Yeah, the, the the last uh you know, 2020 thought that was something else. I'm I'm done with 21. <laughs> right. And that's and you're right that this is this is one of my messages in this particular uh message in the sermon is how can the Psalms help us embrace and recognize that all these pieces of humanity are humanity right and 
you know, there are psalms of praise, there are psalms of lament, there are, you know, just whether it's grief, anger, uh, joy, excitement, mm. honoring, right? That that this text has been passed on for thousands of years now. These texts have been passed along as as a way, and I think one of the reasons that they continue to be uh, venerated is and experienced and reinterpreted is because there's there's a vitality and there's a a, a reflection of the human experience. Mm -hmm. Yes, yeah, that that being able to see the humanness and see that the the writers were people you know going through real experiences and yeah. and being open and frank and honest about about how yeah. they were feeling. Yeah. You know, why why am I forsaken? Uh, you know. Yeah. And they weren't always pretty, right? It's not always the, it's not necessarily the triumph, right? Uh, it, these were not written by the victors. This, this, these, these, these Psalms, these uh, words, these poems were written by people who had lost. Definitely. Uh, and that's a, that's a different place to come from. They get, they sometimes are, are used in other ways and interpreted in other ways to be used to do harm. Unfortunately, the text, the, this sacred text along with others certainly have been uh, misappropriated and, and misused in that way. So for me as a Unitarian Universalist minister too, it's also important to reclaim those pieces and go, mm, that's not, that's not it. That's not it. It doesn't have to be all of it. And I don't even think that's what the, the writers were. It's not what the writers were, where, where they were coming from. It's the opposite. It's important. Yes, important to think about in our in our spiritual journeys. Reverend Julie, thank you both for joining us at Fourth today, but also for for sitting down with me to to be a little bit of a Psalms nerd for a minute. <laughs> well, thank great. you. Uh, great to get to sit down. Thank you.